It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 69, The Battle of Micmash, Part 2. Jonathan and his armor-bearer continued their advance against the Philistine army. Even as they advanced, the Lord went ahead of them, sending an earthquake and panic through the Philistine army. And at this moment, it is said the Philistine army was melting away in all directions, which is such appropriate description, for in the last episode, we discussed the horses and flaming chariots of God, for flames melt objects that are not meant to handle the heat, unlike gold and metals that are meant for the forging process. For the Philistines could not handle the heat and judgment of God, and were melting in all directions. Saul's original army had 3,000 men, and had been reduced to 600 men, many of them defecting or surrendering or running into the hills out of fear for the Philistines. As the Philistines melted away, and Jonathan and his armor-bearer advanced, these cowardly Israelites now turned against the Philistines, and from within or behind enemy lines, these Israelites struck at their captors. Saul, with the 600 men of the army, feels the earthquake and sees the disillusion of the huge Philistine army, and he calls for Ahijah, the high priest, and the ark of God to seek the Lord. Well, the answer is too long in coming from the high priest, and the tumult in the Philistine camp only increases and increases. The Philistines had turned against themselves like the Midians long time ago in the time of Gideon, for there was Philistine soldiers as well as mercenaries most likely in their camp, and there was a mini civil war going on, for they were attacking each other even as the Israelites were attacking them. Without getting his answer from God, Saul advances with the army finding the Philistines in a rout. Even more Israelites at this point, it was the Israelites who had fled up in the hills who come out now out of hiding and attack the Philistines on their flanks. And as Saul begins his attack, he does something that is just stupid. Stupid, stupid. At this point, I have to note, it's like he's starting to lose his mind. Saul's judgment seems to be slipping. His decisions go from wise to folly throughout his life, with the acceleration to the point of foolishness with each decision and year of his life. As Saul begins his assault upon the Philistines, while those Israelites from the hills rush upon the flanks of the Philistines, and those who had previously surrendered were attacking the Philistines as well, Saul makes a vow, which inevitably will get broken. 1 Samuel 14 24. Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. And when they had went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out. Yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out of the end of his staff, which was in his hand, and dipped it into the honeycomb. 
He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Curse be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brighten when I taste a little of this honey? How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been greater? That day, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted. What I find interesting is Saul's vow and the location of it. Think about it with me. Who else did a stupid vow? Jephthah. Lord, I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my door of my house to meet me when I return. Now here's Saul. Curse be anyone who eats anything. What is that? Before we dissect Saul's words, let's talk about geography. The general, I mean, very general locations of Jephthah's vow and Saul's curse are generally close to each other. Both appeared to have occurred close to Gibeah. Reminds me of the particular scene where Elijah calls down fire from heaven on a group of 50 soldiers in 2 Kings chapter 1. When the disciples walk over similar ground in Luke 9, the disciples want to call down fire from heaven on a group of unbelieving Sumerians. They knew their history and the stories of old, but this time in the case of the disciples, it was from the wrong spirit. The fact that the disciples had the faith to even ask for this, I am amazed, but geography is more important. Was it possible for the same spirit of folly that was upon Jephthah to now rest upon Saul? It appears so. Both made a stupid vow or curse in the same general place near Gibeah. We can really study Saul's words and look for issues in his countenance and lack of love for his son or desire for vengeance, but really, I'm getting to the point of saying Saul's just kind of wacky now to me. So extreme in his strainness. I mean, who disallows anyone to eat until his vengeance is accomplished? What's that? He requested his entire army to fast for his vengeance? I mean, what is that? We fast and pray for God's breakthrough in our lives. We don't fast and pray when God is breaking through. They asked Jesus why his followers didn't fast like John the Baptist's followers. His answer was, You don't fast when the bridegroom is present. Thousands have prayed for the coming of Christ, and now that he came, he sits and feasts. The people want to sit and feast in his presence. That was what he was implying. Now Saul, here is an answer to your prayers. The Philistines are defeated before you. God has broken through and is in the process of destroying the Philistines. Proceed and attack. Just stupid, Saul. I marvel at his strangeness and foolishness now. You don't fast for vengeance or breakthrough. An answer to prayers when it's already happened. Another aspect. What's a vengeance fast? That just sounds demonic. What was he doing? There's a group of Jewish fanatics who fasted until they could kill the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Did they succeed? No, but there are demonic fasts out there. 
In fact, this fast only resulted in discord, a limitation placed upon God's people, exhaustion, and rebellion against Saul. Well, Jonathan eats the honey, of course, during the battle because he didn't know about the vow or the curse, because he is exhausted and unknowingly walks into Saul's curse. And once the Israelites crushed the Philistines and pushed them back to Ajalon, they were so exhausted they pounced on the plunder and began to eat raw meat against the Jewish law. And Saul tries to correct this to prevent the men from breaking the law. Next, they plan a night attack to complete the victory, but the priests suggest they inquire of God, which they do, and God does not answer. Saul seeks God further and realizes someone broke his curse. They cast lots, and it's determined Jonathan has broken the vow, and Saul determined that Jonathan should die. 1 Samuel 14, 43 then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die. Saul said, May God deal with me ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die? He who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. So it took the interference of the people to keep Saul from killing his own son. Isn't that interesting? It was Jephthah that killed his firstborn daughter. Saul was about to kill his firstborn son in approximately the same location. It is here that I believe that the word fool now begins to land on Saul. Saul the fool. We will see later, he will give birth to this principality in the land of Israel. It was the Hebrew writers that described Jephthah this way, Jephthah the fool, because of his rash vow. Now Saul picks up the same spirit here in this scene. Interesting how the devil's plans was for Saul to sacrifice his son for his vengeance. Imagine the open doors that Saul would have opened that day if he would have killed his firstborn son for breaking his vow of his vengeance fast. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I enjoy looking at biblical and spiritual things from a logical cause and effect. And from this point on, we understand Saul's fear and rejection issues and fear of man, but this is going to give birth to a nasty principality of folly in the land, which will find its place in the book of Proverbs as taking a primary place as a counter to the spirit of wisdom. Each decision that Saul makes to turn away from wisdom Saul makes toward the spirit of folly, which some jokingly call the spirit of stupid. It's black and white. Which do you choose today? Are you going to be a child of light, walking with God's glory, with the mind of Christ and operating in wisdom, or the wisdom of the world, which is called folly? You decide this day. It's a simple decision in life. What do you want to pursue? The way of the world that is destined to perish and die, thriving for existence by every means possible, or will you pursue the wisdom that is from heaven, 
that leads to the light of God's love and glory. In the book of James, worldly wisdom is defined in James 3.15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. From where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But in James 3.17, godly wisdom is defined and in what some call the indirect reference to the mysterious seven pillars of wisdom from Proverbs 9.1, here is what James, the Apostle James, defines as godly wisdom. James 3.17 But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Ask the listeners today, which one will you choose? What will you pursue? Worldly wisdom like Saul or godly wisdom that is from above and from God in heaven? Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as Saul's campaigns continue against Israel's neighbors. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com.